Hello, 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 my beautiful goobers. I have an important announcement before the show starts. Better Left Unsaid officially has a Patreon. So if you enjoy the show and want to see it grow, consider subscribing to one of our three tiers. By subscribing, you unlock amazing exclusives like behind-the-scenes clips, early episode releases, and our very own BLU Discord community, where you can chat with fellow buddies, besties, and babes, and help shape the show you love so much. Learn more at patreon.com slash betterleftunsaid. Now, on to the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to Better Left Unsaid. Welcome, welcome to Better Left Unsaid. Um, today I am joined by Mr. Shane Rogers, the host of Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. I really like your poster behind it, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's actually it's uh, actually made out of wood. It's like a wooden uh, carved situation. Oh, that's there. neat. It doesn't I come across to... very well in video, but. Well, that's okay. I need to get more behind me because right now I have one piece of art directly behind my head. It's nice. It's centered perfectly. Uh, it's, you know, symmetrical. It works. It's it's very cough, cough, nudge, nudge. Hey, listeners, send me stuff. I will put it on the wall. <laughs> yeah. You're indicating that you need more stuff. So that's that's a smart strategy there. <laughs> um, but yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank um, you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So what what can you tell me about uh, your show? Uh, Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. We are a show that started right before COVID, and we just got kind of lucky with the timing. Uh, the rest of the world got unlucky with COVID, but it worked out really well for us because uh, we kind of took off during COVID, and we have a, a fan base uh, that goes to our Discord channel, and they choose a topic every week. And uh, then we, I research it and I teach it to my co-conspirator, uh, Duncan, and uh, we learn about it together. And it's kind of, it's super fun. We've done every topic imaginable from, you know, Scientology to weird facts about animals, um, a little bit of everything. And it's great. It's, it's been an amazing outlet. I've done comedy for a long time and obviously couldn't do it during COVID. So it was just an amazing thing to pour energy into and get a lot back from. Uh, and it's super fun. It's it's. Uh, I definitely recommend that everyone check it out. I do as well. I've heard uh, a few episodes, and it's definitely an enjoyable ride. Um, although I could not stay up late enough to actually listen to it at midnight, but you know, that we is do what release it is. at midnight. But that's the gl the the glory of uh, of podcasts is it's on demand. You can get it whenever you want, but. Yeah, we do. We do release at midnight and we do have a bunch of uh, insomniacs. We call our fans the insomniacs and they do stay up to listen. But by the way, I love your podcast, too. I've been listening to it and you're a great interviewer. Thank you. Thank you. I do my best. I just like to talk. Yeah, that is, <laughs> you know, that's the most important thing. Right. Um, but as always, so you've you've listened to a couple episodes, um, so you know how this goes. As always, we start every episode with an embarrassing story. So Shane, do you have an embarrassing story for us? Yeah, boy, I think I told you that I have what I think is a, a pretty good one. And it's one that I have not told. I haven't told it on stage and I haven't told it on the podcast. Uh, some people know it because they were there for it. Uh, but I, this, I, I'm going to have to gird myself to actually tell this story. 
So I went to college after high school. I didn't really have enough money to go to college and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I did, I did America, the AmeriCorps program, it was called for a couple of years, which gave me a little bit of money for college. They give you like a stipend. And then I, I still didn't have enough to like get through four years of college. It would get me through about one year and I wanted to be in dorms. So I went to a community college that had dorms. It's one of the only ones in California. It's called uh, College of the Redwoods up in Humboldt County. And I just figured, you know what, after the first couple semesters, I'll just figure out how to, how to fund the rest of it. And so I had a great time there. I enjoyed my first couple semesters. I wanted to stay. And so what I did was I became a resident advisor, an RA, which you're like, I guess you could call it the sort of campus cop. You are responsible for your little area of the dorms and your residents. And you're really more of a resource for them. We did have to write people up for things, but it was Humboldt County in California, which is like one of the biggest sort of party slash marijuana areas uh, in the country. So it wasn't very hardcore. Mostly we were just making sure people didn't hurt themselves. Um, And so as an RA, though, the one thing I did promise to do was not drink on campus. And so my birthday came around. I was pretty good at following the rules for the most part. There were some times when the RAs would get together and and drink. Uh, we were not we weren't perfect. We were young. But this time I did decide to follow the rules. And I had my birthday off campus at a friend's house with a bunch of uh, of, of other good friends and my girlfriend at the time. And they made it their mission to get me really really intoxicated. And they were very successful at it. And I was thoroughly hammered by the time we got back to the dorms. And at the, I remember my girlfriend and I got in some kind of argument. And so I kind of stormed off and went back to my room. And I this is how drunk I was. We had um, pin pads for our rooms. You didn't use keys. You used a little code. And it was a four-digit code, or it was a five-digit code, actually, for the residents to get in. And I remember I, st- I stood there for maybe five minutes. I mean, I could not plug in the five digit. I just could not get it. <laughs> and luckily I was, I was an RA. So I had the four digit master code so I could finally code in with the master code. And, uh, but that's how wasted I was. I got into the room. It was pitch black. I kind of just pulled my pants down. I'm in my boxer shorts and I was just going to go to bed. And I, I realized like I could perceive that there was a figure in my bed. And as I was kind of climbing in, like there was a, you know, there was an obstruction and it looked like a like a human. And so I kind of jumped back out of bed and I made it sort of a ruckus and I grabbed this figure and kind of and it ended up being a guy. There was a guy in my bed and I I yanked him out of bed and yelled at him uh, and pushed him out of the room, slammed the door. And you, you might have figured this out by now. It's I think you can probably see it coming. Uh, I got back in bed and a few minutes later, I don't know how long actually I was out at that point. Uh, my girlfriend was shaking me awake and she said, uh, you are not in your room. You have used your master code to code into one of your residence rooms. Uh, you took your pants off and you grabbed him and pulled him out of bed and shoved him out of the room <laughs> and slammed the door and got back in his bed and went to sleep. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was unfortunate. I managed to not get kicked out of school. They did like a whole inquiry into it the next uh, over the next couple days. I had to go and explain myself. Um, And I ended up actually what they did was they sentenced me to 
drug and alcohol classes, which is what you had to do if you got written up a certain number of times. So I was the only RA that ever had to go to the drug and alcohol classes, along with people that I had sent to the drug and alcohol classes. Oh, no. Which was somewhat uncomfortable. Uh, but I did stay in school. But yeah, that was uh, that was my most embarrassing experience. Everyone on campus knew about it. Uh, it was pretty it was pretty awkward, I have to say, for the next couple of weeks walking around with my residents. I I can imagine. I honestly it just brings back memories of all the weird shit that I'm sure my RAs going through college had to deal with uh, specifically, not necessarily with me directly, but with people I lived with. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I do feel like being an RA, RAs don't get enough credit for kind of what they deal with because it really is a lot. I mean, you've got a full, you know, work, uh, school schedule anyway. And then we had to be up until, you know, wee hours in the morning doing rounds. And it was, uh, it, it was tough, but rewarding. I honestly really enjoyed my time there. And I knew it wasn't going to be forever. I didn't want to be the, you know, the campus cop. Luckily, I had been there for already a couple semesters. So I had a bunch of friends before. Uh, and then I transferred to UC Davis after that, and I was not an RA after I transferred. So I got the full college experience, but I really have a lot of respect for RAs and what they deal with. Right. I know uh, my sophomore year, I was living with a group of guys. We each had our own. It was sort of like an apartment style dorm room. So each of us had our own individual bedrooms, and then we had a shared living space. And uh, one of my roommates who is wild just in general um decided at the beginning of like saw uh like spring semester to get a ferret <laughs> and my god that thing was the most disgusting and and mean thing it would hide our, under our couch in our shared living space and like go after our ankles anytime we sat down an evil ferret no less wow oh it would be able to crawl under our doors so we'd open the door and find a ferret like in our room and it like knocked over potted plants onto my bed see that sounds delightful though i, I want to open my door to find a ferret anytime i mean a ferret that's happy to see me sure yeah, true um but for obvious reasons this roommate was not supposed to have a ferret no and he had gotten into a bit of a spat with myself and and a couple of our other roommates and so he I was working on a project because I had like a lot of late nights uh just in the program I was in and I hear a big knock on the door it's like 5 a.m which I'm like why are they here at 5 a.m and the like director of housing is at the door and he's like banging on the door and I'm like there to open it. I let him in and he immediately goes to this roommate's room and is like banging on the door and all this stuff. And he's like, do you know if he's in there? And I'm like, dude, it's 5 a.m. He's probably like still shit faced. Yeah. Like he's still blackout drunk. So you're not going to be able to wake him up. Mm -hmm. So they stick a note on the door saying it's you or the ferret. <laughs> That's great. So... He ends up uh, going to a therapist and getting the ferret uh, designated as an emotional support animal so he can keep it on campus and then spends the rest of the year um, making passive aggressive comments about this ferret and how we almost got it kicked out of, out of the dorm room. 
blaming us. (laughs) Well, I love that they gave him a note that said it's you or the ferret, implying that there was a possibility that they would boot him out and keep the ferret, which I think would have been the best possible scenario. Just that room is just, that's just ferret room. I mean, let's be honest. I am sure I eventually will have listeners who have ferrets. You cannot tell me y'all don't have a ferret room. I have fully been to people's houses where they have ferrets they have ferret rooms well the ferrets also i love ferrets but they do smell i mean they have like scent glands and you can have them removed oh, yeah. but they're still musky a ferret is a little bit musky so i think a ferret needs his own room to be honest his or her i agree um but so he was making all these passive aggressive comments thinking that we had turned him in at the beginning whenever we moved into this place rra had friended us all on facebook it was sort of part of his like in case he needed to get a hold of us, he could just message us on Facebook. Right. And so since the beginning of the semester, he had been posting pictures of him and this ferret <laughs> Look <laughs> in his dorm room. And so we're all sitting there being like, dude, you he knew that you had a ferret. Yeah. It was only a matter right. of time before he did something about it. Yeah. That's on the RA that he let it go that long. That's amazing. I had a number of experiences that were pretty crazy like that. Like we had, I remember getting a call at, you know, two in the morning that one of uh, my residents, I had two football players who were living together. And one of the, one of the football players called to report that the other football player was standing on the desk and urinating on everything in the room. And uh, I went down there. He must've had an amazing bladder because he was still going by the time I got down there. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he marked his territory pretty well that night. That is, that's a lot of pee. <laughs> it was an incredible volume. Like you would not, that was, I honestly, it was like, yeah, I have to write you up, but also, you know what? Respect. <laughs> I honestly, though, I'm sure like future life, I don't know, like having taken drug tests and all that stuff for employment and stuff. If you need to go pee and you're having to pee into a cup, you kind of have to time it sometimes and be like, I don't want to overfill the cup. Yeah. Did he have to stand there for like three minutes waiting to almost be done? It, there were definitely some, you know, final squirts and shakes that he was he was going to get all of it out. Uh, and he definitely did. And uh, yeah, he was he, he also was it was funny because he was like the nicest guy. They were both actually really nice guys. And I don't know what had set him off. He wasn't angry. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't breaking things, but he was huge. He was a big he was Samoan. Actually, he was just this big guy. And there, so there was no way any of us, including his roommate, were going to be able to do anything about it. So we just let it happen. And then, you know, he passed out. And then the next day, he w- he felt pretty bad. He had to go through, you know, a similar version of what I went through, would just go explain himself to a, a group of uh, very upset, um, you know, higher ups. Uh, but he ended up staying in the dorms, too. And he had to, I think, pay for cleaning and also, you know, buy his roommate a bunch of new stuff. Uh, but he, I don't know what it was. I don't know what he thought was going on or if it was a sleepwalking thing or what was happening. But yeah, he uh, he drank a lot, let me tell you, and he got all of it out. I, I just feel for anybody who has that sort of sleepwalking thing yeah. where you just stand up on the desk and let it go. I just like cleaning up dogs is enough. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It felt like, you know, I felt like I was running a kennel when I was an RA because every, I mean, they were just the, a lot of the residents were great and a lot of them were my friends. I had to write up my girlfriend once for, you know, drinking in a room and 
Uh, but they, you know, they were crazy. They were, we were young. It was just, what are you going to do? It's your first years in college. And I think also it being a junior college, it's a little bit different. Like the people there are a little bit, they're, they're a little less academically oriented in some situations. Yeah. Uh, so it was more of a party environment, although any college is kind of a party environment. I, I am a full advocate of spend some time in college partying because like whenever you get out of college you're not going to be able to party at all or like maybe on like very very brief occasions you know family holidays depending on the family 100 percent. i mean and making friends too i mean it's so easy to make friends in college you have to you're you're forced to you know be integrated with other humans of your age and it's those were the best years of my life honestly and I, there are things that, you know, it was a wild time. There were a lot of mistakes I made, but uh, I would never give away those, those years. Those were great years. And like I said, that that's the hardest thing really is coming out and realizing that like, it's not as easy to get a friend group. If you move to another, you know, state or another city, it's not like it was with college. I mean, transferring college, it was like, now I'm in a new area where I have to be around people of my age. And, and, you know, especially like once you're in your major too, then it's, you're forced to be around people who are not only your age, they also have the same interests as you, you know, right. Presumably. So you're like a, immersed in a group of your peers. And that just doesn't happen after college. There's no guarantee that you're going to get a job where you're going to have anything in common with your coworkers. That is very true. And I think nowadays, a majority of people are starting to create, you know, work boundaries and say, everything at work is staying at work, including the people. Yeah. Which is probably smart. Right. Um, but yeah, so getting into the topic, we're talking about worst fears. Yeah. This is an interesting Just like it's definitely an interesting turn from, you know, Samoans paying off desks into <laughs> into into this. But I don't know. I I I was doing some research prior and uh I I find the whole all of the information and all the research on it really uh, kind of interesting. So, Sarok, how do you understand fear? Uh, you know, I have an interesting relationship with fear. I have a lot of fears. I have anxieties. I mean, I'm someone who definitely struggles a bit with generalized anxiety and then very specific. I have like OCD, like clinical OCD around certain issues. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's anxiety and fear are very related. And so in some ways, that's made me a lot better at dealing with fear because I process fear as just a heightened anxiety. Um, and because I've dealt with anxiety for so long and have so many coping mechanisms and have gone to therapy for it and things, um, I think I deal pretty well with my fears. But I definitely have them. And the way I think of fear is just you know something that I have an aversion to it's it's it could be almost anything that that I'm just reluctant to take part in because it's going to cause discomfort. You know, ultimately, fear is just discomfort. And so I think I process it pretty well. uh, But I have some some pretty intense fears and some that I've had to actually deal with in real life. You know, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, for for the most part, I think that I'm someone who handles fear fairly in, in a pretty reasonable and I process it pretty well. Right. I think, I I mean, I think that is definitely something to aspire towards because, uh, you know, I've done some therapy, but probably not as much as I should. And, you know, 
Um, but I think it's just, I was going somewhere and I had a thought in my head and now it's completely <laughs> gone. That's how that goes. Um, I do think a lot of things have to be overcome. And I think, you know, the more we deal with them, the more we learn to overcome them. I was actually, I don't know if you've watched it yet. I don't want to give any spoilers, uh, but the Sandman show on Netflix. I, I've only seen the first episode so far. Um, it's a great show. If any of listeners haven't watched it, watch it. I'm not going to give really any spoilers. It's more or less just a baseline description of the main character and how his purpose is to create nightmares and interact with people's fears in order to help them better overcome them. Right. Which I, I always thought was really awesome. And, you know, Neil Gaiman for the win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neil Gaiman's great. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's also interesting because uh, I was reading into sort of the origins of fear as we know that, as we know it, you know, today and how uh, a lot of it is sort of innate fears from just evolution, you know, mm-hmm. instinctual, fear, yeah. instinctual fears and being mammals and, you know, having predators, and you know, all that stuff. So uh, a lot of times they'll describe it as the fear responses. So fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your fear response? I think it depends on the source of the fear. Uh, there are those primal fears that I think we all sort of share to some extent and can overcome to some extent, but will kind of be with you no matter what. I mean, they are ingrained in your consciousness. The, the fear of spiders is something that I see, you know, I have some friends who are like weightlifters and, you know, very strong adrenaline junkie people and a tiny little spider goes by and they're out, you know, they will just jump out of their seat. Uh, And for me, like spiders, I was really afraid of spiders for a long time. And then my cousin had a pet tarantula. And then I sort of, I really worked on getting over my fear of spiders because spiders, it's just not a rational fear. Like so few people are harmed by spiders. It's so unlikely that a spider, you know, depending on where you live, if you're in Australia or something, keep your fear of spiders. (laughs) (laughs) You check your shoes. (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, be, be reasonable. But where I live, you know, we have we have actually some tarantulas here. I found one in a hot tub at work one time. And but they're they're just the the chances of actually getting injured by a spider are incredibly slim. And so it's an irrational fear where I live. And spiders in some ways are really helpful. Like, you know, they manage to take out uh, mosquitoes and things. And and so I actually at this point have an affection for spiders. I started making sure you know, I don't kill them. So if I find a spider, I'm going to try my best to save it. I'll put a cup over it and then put a piece of paper under the cup and then carry them outside. And uh, my wife is terrified of spiders to this day, but she's even kind of conditioned herself to if she sees a spider, if I'm not there, I think she'll kill it. But if I'm there, she'll be like, hey, babe, come here. I got I got a task for you and I'll take it outside. And, you know, I you can get over fears to an extent. And I look at spiders now, especially if I'm outdoors, if I'm in the wild and I see a spider, I'm just more interested in it you know i'm kind of fascinated by them um and i looking at cute pictures of spiders like if you google cute spiders i do this with foxes a lot of people who are not foxes but uh uh, bats a lot of people who are scared of bats if you google like cute bat they'll show like sky foxes right like sky puppies like little cute foxes and so if you kind of look at them if you change 
the your relationship to them and change your perception of them you can get over that but i still have that thing where like if i'm alone in this studio for instance and i look down and there's a big spider moving across the floor i'll have that first wave of fear that kind of cold sweat that comes on you and then i sort of breathe through it and look at the spider and say okay he's not harming me he's not even moving toward me he's doing his own thing and i'll just save him you know at that point i can him or her i always i always refer to animals as him and i feel like i'm gonna get canceled for it but i <laughs> I, I recognize that animals can be any gender and uh and probably non-binary and but i do feel like you can you can overcome it to an extent but we still all have that first instinct that kind of uh, it is really buried within us that primal fear uh but it is also workable you can work through that Right. I mean, honestly, I uh, I am very much the same, especially when it comes to spiders. And funny enough, the idea that not that many people, you know, actually get hurt by spiders, which is true. Um, I just super vividly remember growing up and my brother getting bitten by a jumping spider and puffing up like a balloon. Oh, wow. Like he, Where was, he was allergic. Uh, Texas. So we okay. we we do have like you know, mildly dangerous spiders, so like black widows and brown with brown with recluses. There we go. Oh, yeah. Um, so like that's a thing. But he got bit by a jumping spider and puffed up by like a balloon. So in my mind, I'm like, he's my brother. We're related. I'm probably allergic too. If one bites me, I'm dead. That's I'm sure cool. one I'm sure one has bitten me like in my sleep. That happens like to a lot of people, most people. Um you know, sorry for anybody who's terrified of spiders. Um, but yeah, I I think where I work now, so I work for university and my building, I basically have a building to myself and it's a sort of warehouse shop, machine shop. And so it is full of spiders, specifically like daddy long legs, you know, the, the barn spiders that mm -hmm. like sit in the rafters. And I have grown affectionate towards them in a way that, like, if we're cleaning up the spiders, I'll, like, okay, come on, spiders. We got to get your web out of the way, so we're going to move you somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, there are rational fears, and that's, I think it's totally reasonable, especially if you've had some kind of experience with it. It's the same with, like, sharks. You know, we I live in Santa Cruz, California. We have a shark attack every few years or so. Uh, but overall, it's, you know, you can swim in the ocean and you're not going to get attacked by a shark. Just it would be the same odds as like winning the lottery. Right. So it is a it is a rational fear. If you look at just the possibility of getting hurt, spiders certainly can do damage if they're the right kind of spider. Uh, but it's just the the chances of it happening. And, you know, I've been I woke up one time and I had rolled over on a wasp and it was biting or stinging me, whatever they do. Uh, over and over because you know obviously with a regular little honeybee they can only sting you once and then they sacrifice right. themselves but a wasp can just keep going and my hand you know blew up like a catcher's mitt um but at the same time you know i had rolled over on top of him and i kind of you know that's that seems like what it's what i would do in that case you know he was that was his self that was protection so i do feel like i like i'm not scared of wasps i see a wasp and even though i know it can damage me i know it doesn't necessarily want to it's as right. long as i don't mess with it so I, I guess it is just sort of coming to terms with the realities of what is actually a threat to you and what isn't, and, and which of those threats are just based on that primal or instinctive fear. Right. Uh, funny enough, uh, tangent related to uh, sharks. 
uh, more cows get struck by lightning than people actually get bitten by sharks. That is a great statistic. Which <laughs> is awful for cows, but you know, whatever. Um, it's so random. I mean, at the same time, cows do a lot of standing around in open fields, I imagine, during thunderstorms. So I don't I don't know how rare it is for a cow to get struck by lightning. It sounds like that might be something that happens more often than we think. Right? See, now that's making me worry about sharks again. No, yeah. but <laughs> um, what would you say is your worst fear? So I guess I kind of divide fears into two different categories, right? I, there are like <clears throat> practical fears and then like conceptual fears. And so my worst fear, 100%, is I'm claustrophobic. And I have had this recurring dream since I was young of going down a water slide and then the water slide would progressively narrow. And at some point halfway through, I would get wedged into the water slide and then the water would start to build up and I'm in pitch black darkness and I'm stuck. And I mean, even now, like even saying it, honestly, my heart starts going a little bit like it is. That's right. a terrifying thing for me. It is the scariest thing I can imagine. And I have woken up screaming from that uh, numerous times. And I would consider that a conceptual fear. I still go down water slides. I'm not terrified that that's going to happen to me. It's not right. something that I go through my daily life, like worried about ending up in a claustrophobic situation. But claustrophobia is definitely, I guess you would say, my biggest fear. I watched recently... 13 lives, which was the story of those, uh, the Thai soccer team. Oh yeah. 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 And it's a great movie. I recommend to anyone. Um, it, it was very hard for me to get through. Honestly, the other movie that str I struggled with and would not recommend, cause it's not a good enough movie to suffer through. If you are <laughs> was uh, Poseidon, which is where a cruise ship or a, a big vessel flips over and then the people are slowly you know the water's slowly rising and the people are trying to like make their way through the ship to the top which oh that was painful and even my wife who's not as claustrophobic as i am was affected by it we both were was like well, the that was second one or the first one it was the remake the yeah uh, okay so that yeah. was like the poseidon something poseidon adventure was yeah. the first one from like i think the 60s mm-hmm and then they made they had a remake in like the 90s or early 2000s or something. Yeah. And uh, that was the one that we watched. And boy, that was that was not a fun. It was like one of those things where it's just why am I forcing myself to continue watching this? And I think I felt an <laughs> obligation to finish it. Like she even wanted to turn it off. She was like, this is unpleasant. And I was like, yes, it is. But I've got to I, I got to get through this. And we watched the whole thing. But that is my biggest conceptual fear. And then there are practical fears. And we can talk about those too, because I have some big practical fears that are things that might actually happen. What about you though? Um, honestly, I feel like, I feel like, uh, you know, the more I was reading into it, the more like common everyday fears, you know, you talk about claustrophobia, you talk about fear of heights, uh, acrophobia, um, those I am, I am terrified of heights but only in specific context. So terrified of heights while upside down for the longest time, I <laughs> could so not ride roller coasters with loops. Oh, I couldn't okay. do it because it's the fear of fully reaching the top of the loop and then just falling out. Yeah. Um, and like normally I could, I could be at the, I've been at the top of the Empire State Building. I've looked down. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, you might get the, 
slight vertigo of anyone looking off a tall building. Yeah. But if I were doing a handstand up there, I'd probably be doing less well. That's so randomly specific. I, I love that. Um, and I mean, like claustrophobia too. I, I, for me, it was never just being contained in a in a space that I can't necessarily get out of. It's immobility. It's the inability to move my arms and legs that would get me so it's like yeah. if i am in a dark you know large enough wardrobe that i can still like turn and move around i i'm fine yeah but you know you you bury me alive where i can't even turn my shoulders or anything and i'm done that's a big part of it for me too i think the immobility thing the feeling crushed or feeling like you can't you know the loss of freedom sort of in, in difficulty breathing uh, that yeah, that's all in it. It is funny how specific fears can get. I love that you are afraid of heights, but only if you're <laughs> upside down. That's such a that's something you know. It's we all have those little quirks where it's like you know, well, I'm afraid of heights, but only on a Wednesday after the third full moon. You know, if there's a if I can see a gorilla in the distance, like then right. I'm it's just so specific. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I had brought it up to my parents, and they were like, oh. Could that have been? And I was like, what? Could that have been what? What are you what talking about? What did you do to <laughs> me? What, what happened? <laughs> Apparently, I had been in a like car seat, baby seat, and they had taken down the car and they'd put it on the on the couch. And it had slightly shifted, so it ended up flipping over off oh, the couch, God. upside down. So even though I'm probably maybe a foot away from the the ground i'm still suspended upside down wow. as a small as an infant just screaming that is fascinating it's really interesting to see where those fears come from because that makes sense that is a you know absolute uh connection to something very concrete and solid that would have caused that fear that makes sense right i i think that's that's more of the interesting sides of fears is sort mm -hmm. of the origin in them, not just the innate fears, but the fears that we develop, uh, you know, from whether it's trauma or whether it's, uh, you know, this, that, and the other, um, even like uh, generational trauma and how that creates instinctual fears in certain, uh, you know, ethnic or cultural groups. I know oh. uh, with, uh, you know, African-Americans, in, in some cases, there is a fear of dogs. Mm -hmm. And that is in large part connected to the general generational trauma of slavery and sure. escaped slaves, you know, being chased down by, by dogs. Yeah, and all the way through the civil rights movement and even to today with police officers having right. with dogs, you know, for sure. Um, that is interesting. There are there are definitely cultural differences when it comes to. I mean, you know, obviously among individual people, it's it's different. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my wife is black, and her her family, and, and we've talked about things like that. That there are just different concerns that they have through generational experience uh, than I've experienced in my ancestors, and and that that does affect how we process fear and anxiety too. Right. Um, what would you say are your more realistic? Yeah, fears? so the practical fears. So my biggest fear, I have this 
dream over and over again. And it's something that's related to, so I do stand up comedy. And one of the things that I, you know, a lot of people I think are afraid of public speaking and that, and that is a triggering for them in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's another really interesting instinctual fear that we have this idea of like being humiliated in front of our peers or having to stand up in front of people can be very triggering and scary for a lot of people. I think even for me, when I started to to an extent, it was. Um, but I have a really practical fear that I can sort of explain by my first experience doing comedy. So I had done like a comedy class was how I kind of got started. I figured that'd be an easier sort of intro into into doing stand up. And at the end, we did this like graduation show. So it was it's kind of what's called a bringer show, which means that like it's not a it's not a real show. It was open to the public, but none of the public was going to come. It was mostly like the friends and family of the people who were like graduating from this class. So it's a more friendly environment, but you're still doing comedy in front of a bunch of people that you don't know. You brought maybe three and there's like 50 people there. So it was still it was still nerve wracking and scary. And the person who went before me, I didn't know him. He had it was a couple of different classes that were like combined in this show. And so I'm already pretty, you know, I'm, I'm definitely pumped up. I'm, I'm, you know, excited. And I think I was more excited than really scared at that point until the yeah. guy before me went up. And he went up and I remember that he was introduced. He walked up, he opened his mouth to talk. He took the microphone out, he moved the, the mic stand and he opened his mouth to talk. And then it just, just nothing came out. He just stood there and it was it was like he'd unplugged. I mean, it looked like something like a robot that had just been, you know, flipped the off switch. Right. And it was just, you know, he had this deer in the headlights thing. He just panicked and he stood there for a good 45, 50 seconds, you know, maybe almost close to a minute, which is a long time to sit silently. Like when you stand there silently, you could hear people coughing. You could hear like the squeak of chairs moving people just getting more and more uncomfortable and awkward and like wondering like what are we going to do like is someone going to say something about this if it had been a public show like a regular comedy club show you know people would have been heckling and like they, they would have there would have been a lot of commotion going on right but this was just a bunch of people who were trying to be polite and so we just sat there and waited and eventually the host i remember it was aurora she's a popular comedian in san francisco she she walked up took the mic out of his hand put it back on the on the mic stand. She kind of like moved him over, sort of guided him back <laughs> over to this table, sat him down. She came back, she picked up the mic and she said, well, you know, comedy is hard, people. Comedy is hard. And then she said, uh, and next we have uh, Shane Rogers. <laughs> and, <it> was, <laughs> and I go up and it's been silent for these minutes. It's so awkward and uncomfortable. And now I'm just terrified. Like I was so scared. My first set was traumatic because of that experience, because I was so scared that I was going to do what he had done and just freeze. And that has been a fear for me throughout comedy. And you, you get to the point where you don't think about it anymore. You just don't worry that much about it. But I still have nightmares uh, where I will go up on stage and completely blink and just forget everything I was going to say. And you you get very close to that. And I've actually had it happen. So it happened to me. I think I was about a year and a half in and I was doing a comedy contest uh, and it was in the like final round of the contest and my mom had come and I think it was the first time she'd ever seen me do stand up. And I, I remember that I knew that one of the jokes that was coming was off color. It was like about, I said the word, I don't remember. I said something pretty rough in it, 
like yeah. date rape or something that I knew was going like I was going to say that in front of my mom and I hadn't really thought about it. And it just occurred to me while I while in the build up to the punchline of this joke that my mom was going to be pretty shocked by the punchline. And I looked out and I saw her and it just like it froze me. It was like her, you know, her face was like a like a beacon from a, a lighthouse or something that just like caught me in its spotlight. And I just I just stood there and I couldn't say the punchline. I couldn't think of anything. Just my brain went 100 percent blank. All I could do was feel my heart beating and I stood there awkwardly, just like that guy had done. And everyone kind of just, you know, was a little worried. Like, I think they would thought maybe I was having a heart attack or something had happened to me. And finally, I just said, oh, uh, okay, I think that's my time and just walked off stage. And huh. that was the only time that's ever happened. But I know that it's a reality. I've seen it happen before. And it's a constant fear. That is probably my biggest, like, practical biggest fear is freezing on stage and humiliating myself and not not knowing what to say and and again you know it's it's i i know realistically that by now it's not going to happen like i'm at the point where if i were to for i have actually forgotten the next thing i was going to say on stage and i'm comfortable enough up there now that i would just move forward i just say like ah you know you, you had that happen a few minutes ago right you just right you just kind of forget what you're going to say and you go ah, i don't know i lost it and you move on but there is that fear that I'm just going to freeze. And it's this deep seated thing that I think a lot of us have is just humiliating yourself in front of a group of people is really scary and it's not going to hurt you. You know, we all know that we're physically going to be okay, but it's still, it's still uh, up there as one of my biggest fears. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that I, I have done, had done children's magic shows for like eight years yeah. um, while I was in college and I remember the first time I did one there it was a big event too and I don't know what my dad who owned the company was thinking putting me out there in that big event for the first time um but I'm like doing this magic show he's standing in the back of this crowd like watching me do it and me just flubbing every single trick <laughs> it turned into a comedy to, show to the point where the kids are like the kids and the parents are starting to like get up and walk away. Oh God, walk the um, room of kids. That's rough. Like, uh, and ending with the finale, which was always the peanut butter and jelly trick. So, you know, changing peanut butter into jelly and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and in that trick, I'm sorry for ruining magic for, you know, thousands of kids around the world. Uh, but the, jars of jelly are real yeah they are real jars of jelly and so if you're not careful if you squeeze too hard when you're not supposed to you will pick up the jelly and then it will fall off and shatter on the ground which it 100% did foreshadowing <laughs> and so I'm sitting there in this parking lot it's hot as hell just given an awful magic show it was like supposed to be 45 minutes ended up being like 20 and i'm standing there in front of a broken jar of jelly half of it's on my feet and lovely this this like sweet lovely mom came up and she was like i thought you did pretty good and i'm That's like always the worst I'm like thanks you're the only person left <laughs> I can't imagine. That's hilarious. I've never actually thought of a of a, a 
of a magician bombing. That's just not something you think about. But yeah, I mean, God, you could mess up a trick and, you know, the, the, the string falls out of your out of your sleeve or the rabbit jumps out of the hat too early or something and it's just a complete mess. I would actually love to see that. I think I, think I would enjoy watching a magician bomb more than I would enjoy watching, like, a great magic show that worked. Right. There, yeah, there have been, you know, several jars of broken glass <laughs> in in my time of doing that um but i think my more uh practical fear is like a fear of an intruder yeah and you know it's it almost relates to me uh, to like the fear of the dark okay um to the point of like if you're afraid of the dark you're afraid of what could be in that dark space what could be you know, lurking in a closet or under a bed or, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, for me, though, I am I am a huge proponent of blackout curtains. Whenever yeah, I sleep, yeah. I need it to be pitch black. I'm exactly the same way. Yeah, a little bit of light, even like a nightlight. I'm just like, nope, can't do it. Yeah. And I've sort of created a connection to, in my mind, of needing pitch black to sleep to someone being in the room because for me the last thing i want in the entire world the thing that would instantly like lay make my soul leave my body is seeing a shadowy figure stand in a corner oh yeah that's like, a great it's a horror movie trope but it, it is a cliche for a reason because it works it's terrifying fully you know moonlight man in gerald's game oh yeah standing in the corner all you see is like eyes whatever i'm going to make sure that that room is pitch black so whenever i open my eyes because <laughs> i'm going to because i toss and turn whenever i open my eyes i'm not going to see anything there's no way there can be like even the outline of a figure in the corner yeah yeah that totally makes sense the whole stranger danger you know in someone coming into your house thing I think that there's been a real rise in that. And I think a lot of it has to do with true crime because my wife is super obsessed with true crime, but now she's also like super obsessed with like checking the locks and making sure that people do like we live in a really unlikely area for us to get robbed. Not because we're like yeah. super wealthy or anything, but we're just like, we're right by the beach. There's, there are a lot of nicer places right around us that that are a lot easier. Like ours, you'd have to go around a house and like you'd have to sort of find our door to get there it's almost like a, an obstacle course so it's just very unlikely that anyone's going to choose to break into our place of all places and but she you know there's no rationality that when it comes to our biggest fears and she will check all the doors she she actually likes to sleep with a little bit of light and so that's something that we've struggled with a little bit but i found what i had a comedy bit that i used to do about it because this is 100 true that i found uh, pepper spray under her pillow and it was it was really insulting at first i was like are you scared of me or are you scared that i can't you know the biggest thing is she obviously feels like i can't protect her she's like you know i had a joke where i said something like why do you need pepper spray and you know you have me and she said something like oh i'm sorry babe i'll buy you some too and you know like, <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't see me clearly as 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 a masculine manly man who's going to protect her i think she's more worried that i'd i would just be in the way of her escape I think is is what is how she looks at it. But I are you a, a true crime guy? Is that uh, something? I I have listened to my fair few uh, true crime podcasts. Yeah. I know I grew up in a household where my mom watched a lot of 
true crime, you know, 48 hours snapped. We always mm-hmm. used to joke that if my dad ever went missing, well, my mom watched has watched a lot of snapped. <laughs> she she knows what to do. It's like a, it's a template. <laughs> I mean, it's... honestly. Um so yeah, I've I've seen I've seen enough to yeah. to have that sort of fear and I know I've talked to my partner before and I'm like, okay, if we ever hear anything downstairs, I'm running to the closet and grabbing the samurai sword. And he's like, why do you think I have the keyblade so close to the bed? There you go. <laughs> like, I, like that you, I like that your strategy <laughs> is to run all the way downstairs and grab a samurai sword. That's it. Well, our, a lot of times our fears do not, uh, do not inspire the most practical solutions, but, uh, but that actually is uh, that's very I cinematic. should say the closet in the bedroom. The closet oh. in the bedroom, but... Okay. <laughs> not too far then. No. I am certain that I will trip over the dogs on the way there, so it may, it may still lack some amount of practicality. But well, I also like that the idea that the intruder would definitely be, uh, you know, be armed with something that is less uh, deadly or or not able to to handle a samurai sword. That he wouldn't, <laughs> that he or she wouldn't have a just a, a gun. No, I don't I know mean, how much, what you're going to do with your samurai sword, but hey, the second benefit of blackout curtains: the moment he opens the door, we can see him. That's true. You can't see us. Can't see you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You got it all figured out. Just have a very cinematic, cinematic scene in my head. Yeah. With all that. Yeah, no, I, I like it. That's we, All of our, our solutions are always super impractical for dealing with our fears, and that's one of my favorite things. Right. Um, so what I, I was thinking about this, because I was thinking, like, how fears have evolved. And so what sort of fears do you think existed in the past that don't exist anymore? A lot of them. Well, that's interesting because I mean, we, we look at our anxieties, right. And why so many of us have anxiety and so much of it comes from the fact that we don't live in the environments that we used to, where we had, we had to worry about a, a, a leopard, you know, coming along a, a lion, uh, you know, that we for so long dealt with the constant fear of a predator and now right. we don't have to fear a predator. And I think that is where we get this affinity for watching, you know, true crime shows for this is where we get that stranger danger fear, because for so much of our evolution, we did have to worry about constantly getting attacked by something. And now when we're in a scenario where for 90 percent of us, we don't really have to worry about that on a daily basis. There's still that internal you know, primal part of us that is constantly right. alert. It's constantly waiting for that attack. And so it's almost comforting to think that there is a reason for that fear because the scariest thing is to have fear that you don't understand. Like if you're just sitting around and you get a wave of fear, that's terrifying and confusing. And if we can attribute it to something, it makes life make sense, right? It's right. just more... It's it's comforting in the way that like now we understand the universe and why we are the way we are. And that is one of the things that I dealt with in therapy a lot was that I really enjoyed performing. And one of the reasons was because it gave a, a it gave a, a point to my anxiety, it gave a reason for my anxiety. Right. If you're sitting around again, feeling anxious and there's no there's nothing that should be making you feel anxious, that anxious gets compounded by confusion and frustration Whereas if I'm going on stage, there's a reason for me to feel anxious. So even though I'm still feeling the same level of anxiety, it's an anxiety that now makes sense. And that's 
comforting and calming. And so I do think that, you know, we had so many fears that we used to have to deal with that we don't, that that's created kind of a crisis for us mentally in our life. I feel like that's such an interesting concept too, though, is, is the idea that so many of uh, anxieties, especially with people with clinical anxiety issues, they don't have a purpose. It is, it is, they are just anxieties that break in, you know, a lot of times at inopportune moments and sort of break you down. So giving them a purpose, you know, saying I'm, I get anxious sometimes, so I am going to do something that will give that anxiety purpose. Yeah. There are um, people who have anxiety and become kind of adrenaline junkies because it really, it, you know, jumping out of a plane gives a reason for your anxiety and it gives that kind of exhilaration. It adds exhilaration to the anxiety instead of just feeling just the anxiety itself. Right. Um, yeah, that's really neat to think about. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what sort of fears uh, on the flip side of the coin, what sort of fears do you think could exist in the future that don't yet? I don't know. That's a good question. I think that we just did an episode on our podcast about gene editing. And, you know, it's something that we don't have to worry about on a daily basis until recently. I mean, I, I never had a fear. I think COVID is a great example, right? That is something that I went through the vast majority of my life not worrying about infectious disease very much, you know, other than right. maybe STDs or something, right? I just didn't worry that there was going to be a pandemic and, and a plague. And that is something that some of our ancestors had to deal with. We went through, you know, the bubonic plague and, and, and just for so long, we have not really worried about that. And going forward, there are going to be all these crazy gene editing tools. CRISPR is this really incredible uh, tool. It's a scientific tool that allows us to edit genetic material. And as it progresses, it's making not only some amazing possibilities for curing, curing disease, it's enabling, you know, a lot of amazing technologies that are really going to benefit us, but it also enables the creation of, you know, of, of very, very highly specific and designed uh, diseases. And so I think that going forward, you know, our lives, I described in that episode, a potential sort of future of living with CRISPR, um, you know, where the government on a weekly basis releases like a genetic uh, injection similar to, you know, a, a, to, a, a, um, to not, not now, I guess not. I don't want to say I'm, I'm vaccine hesitant at all. That's not an issue. I'm vaccinated. Right, right, right. <laughs> but it's possible that, you know, in the future, they, they, they put out a vaccine every week because there are groups like anonymous, like hacker, gene hacker groups that are putting out, you know, genetic uh, uh, diseases on a day, on a weekly basis, targeted genetic diseases. And we have to get from our government, you know, the, it's, it's almost like a white hat, black hat uh, situation where we, we sort of battle against the gene hackers and, it's it's really interesting to think about because it's it's coming whether we like it or not. Like this gene editing stuff is so simple that you know a a lay person can can do a lot of it. Right. So one of the things that I think we're going to be facing going forward is the the sort of harnessing of science for nefarious means by average people and terrorists. And that is that's scary stuff. That's just something that you know we dealt with a little bit. We saw what people could do if they harness our own planes against us in nine eleven. We've seen what right. potentially, you know, what, what, a, what a pandemic can do. And when people are able to harness that in their own basement, uh, it's pretty scary stuff.
I mean, fully genetic terrorists would probably, yeah, you know, make definitely waves. I, oof, I, weird tangent. There was a woman recently in Canada who had gone on several rants on, you know, one of the sort of uh, offside uh, social media. Uh, social medias platforms yeah yeah platforms and uh she was uh, has proclaimed herself the queen of the world queen of canada yeah she's uh she's famous in QAnon circles we did an episode on QAnon yes too, so yeah yeah um she she recently has been posting about releasing i think it was 15 or so uh genetically modified uh crispr super soldiers mm. um which is so kooky and i love it kind of yeah luckily, <laughs> luckily like i'm worried about like i said this stuff can be harnessed by the lay person i've seen enough of her to know that she's uh, significantly less intelligent than the average lay person so i'm not too worried about her oh <laughs> fortunately fully, there is there is zero worry i think for yeah. me it's almost a it's a like <laughs> you're kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. like just the just the low giggle um but i think for me, one of the main fears, and it's sort of becoming more and more relevant as, you know, climate change is pushing, is the idea that, like, you could be somewhere that doesn't typically deal with a certain, like, climate issue or a certain, you know, natural type of disaster. You know, you talk about forest fires in in california which i imagine you've you've dealt with a bit oh, yeah. um but you know especially this past year a massive amount of for forest fires in europe oh yeah just like you know engulfing an entire country yeah that's interesting i mean or an entire continent floods yeah. and and you know tsunamis and and extreme weather conditions and yeah that that's a great that's a i didn't even think of that but that is absolutely 100 percent true that climate change is the biggest you know it, it, it certainly is a concern now that we all have but i think for our uh, our you know progeny if I, I don't actually plan to have kids but if you do i think that's something that is a legitimate fear that we have for their for their well-being and then that they're right. gonna have going forward is climate change is, is terrifying and what it's going to do it's so unpredictable um and the only thing we can predict is that it's going to be awful you know right and i mean i think a lot of times especially nowadays if it's not you know just the price tag of having children and raising children which is ridiculous among other things um it's the idea that they're gonna deal with worse stuff than we're dealing with now and we're already dealing with crap I think that is a huge fear for a lot of people. And I just haven't experienced it and can't, I guess, sympathize it with it in that way because I don't want to have kids. But for yeah. people who do, I mean, that is, that's a huge fear is just the fear for your children. Like, I think that a lot of, you know, I know my, I kept my mom up many nights worried about what I was up to and what might happen to me. And um, so that's, that's a big fear that I think a lot of people deal with. That's something we didn't bring up, but you know, the fear for the well being of your children is, is huge. Right. Um, so we've been talking about anxieties. Um, I was doing some stuff on mental health uh, and and sort of 
relating that to how it's becoming more mainstream and I was had sort of a thought of a sort of source almost of anxiety especially nowadays you know you I spend some time in you know TikTok you know deep dives into just nowhere you know wasting time procrastinating that's a great description of TikTok deep dive into um but you know there's so like discussions about anxiety and mental health have become much more mainstream much more talked about um and honestly i think whether it's just an anxiety for me or it's becoming an anxiety for everybody else the idea that everybody is talking about it everybody you know the discussions are being had the topics are are being tackled but nothing's happening Mm-hmm. like there's nothing nothing good is coming out of it it's just being talked about yeah I, I see where you're coming from I definitely understand that frustration I mean I I do think that good things come just from talking about it like honestly yeah. the when I was growing up I, I'm glad that I didn't suffer from as many anxieties when I was younger because you know when I was a kid it definitely was something that people just didn't talk about. I mean, we didn't have TikTok and we didn't have really social media to the extent that that we do now where people were comfortable putting their 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 issues out into the world. And I think that even just doing that can be really cathartic. Even just just the fact that you can go on the fact that I can go on TikTok or or you know, Facebook or Instagram and see stories and see that my friends are struggling with some of the same stuff that I am. I, you know, when I had my first panic attack and my first sort of mental breakdown, um, I didn't know what it was. And I I thought I was dying. I, I just, you know, I think that happens to a lot of people. And at the time, you know, I, I put on Facebook actually like that it had happened, that I'd gone to the hospital, that I didn't know what it, what had happened and it ended up being a panic attack. And my ex-girlfriend messaged me and said, oh my God, I've been dealing with panic attacks for years. I was hospitalized three times. And that was something that we had never discussed. We dated for like, you know, six, seven months. And I just didn't know that about her because it wasn't something that I think she felt comfortable bringing up with me. But once I had put that out there, then we could talk about it. And it was really comforting to know how many of my friends and family just immediately jumped in and were like, oh, my God, I've been to the hospital five times for this, you know. And it, it just in some ways, that was one of the most therapeutic things for me was knowing that I'm not alone and then having resources. People, my ex was really helpful with telling me how she had dealt with things. And then, you know, they, and there is a lot more therapy targeted towards anxiety now. There's a, there are a lot more options with, you know, whether it's like EMDR, or e, I think it's EDM or EMDR. And um, there's also cognitive behavioral therapy, which yeah. is what I really use. Uh, CBT is great. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are more resources and I think the resources are easier to access than they used to be. But I do understand where you're coming from that, like, it just feels like more and more people are coming out with anxieties and it's like an epidemic and what are we going to do about it? But I feel like it's almost more like we're finally starting to wrestle with and contend with an epidemic that's been kind of under the surface. And now we're just all aware that it exists. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I think definitely those anxieties have always existed and people didn't talk about them. Um, I think it was more people speaking about them and more leadership, just dragging their feet and, you know, everyone shouting, Hey, do something about this. 
and then the backlash now i mean you see on the right a lot of people just saying like you know the, the like even the word snowflake right i mean it just really indicates that like you're triggered and 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 fragile right. and that that's a bad thing you know that like being triggered by things and admitting that you have vulnerabilities is a bad thing so it is sad to see that there's a backlash to people coming out and being open with their issues right and i will say this and i will always say it better left unsaid is a huge proponent of mental health so do therapy get therapy talk to someone talk to a you know licensed professional because mental health is self-care it is like going to the doctor's office. You just kind of need to do it. Amen. It is, it is important to help. Um, and honestly, I, I think that's part of the reason why I even started Better Left Unsaid is everybody has embarrassing stories. Everybody has the anxieties that they have from those embarrassing stories. And, and everybody's embarrassing stories. I am sure you're not the, you may have been the only one at that community college who has done that but i'm sure you are not the only ra who got drunk off campus campus came back accidentally kicked a student out of their own room <laughs> I, don't, I hope i'm the only one who's ever done that and then climbed it to their bed um it's it's very much relating through just goofy funny experiences that no one talks about yeah yeah I don't know the how many poop stories is universal. You know, we all we're not that we're not that different. And I try to remind that myself of that when I get frustrated. You know, politics, it's so hard to it's easy to vilify certain people. Right. And I just try to remember that, like, we're all dealing with our own stuff. Right. Um, speaking of, well, more media than politics um, it, with, you know, how the news goes nowadays uh there's a lot of more focus on the negative because you know it's ratings and it's money and you know everybody's in it for the money uh how do you feel about the reality of it i mean do you do you think it is as bad as it seems do you think it's worse or do you think it's better i think it's as bad as it seems um that that is a good that's a, a good fear uh, to have, I think. I think that's another rational fear right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's it's very uncomfortable. Like, unfortunately, all of the years of the Trump pres presidency, you know, my, me being in an interracial relationship, and um, it was just very uncomfortable. It, it felt, it, it was sort of painful to wake up and know that Donald Trump was the president and that there was this much, that there was this much divisiveness and that, that racism and hate were honestly being kind of mainstreamed and that and that people were sort of proudly declaring that they were racist all of a sudden it was just i i think that things are pretty bad right now um and yeah. that is that is a great topic for this for the or a great uh that's a great thing to talk about during this particular topic because it is a fear that i think makes sense um we are in a position where i don't like to be you know a naysayer or a um an alarmist, but I think that democracy is tenuous right now, yeah. and it's a, it's a scary time to be an American. Um, I, I do worry about that. I think that in some ways we are not, like I said, we're not as different as we think we are. That most people just want 
the world to continue kind of the way it is and everything to be okay. Um, but there is an element right now that's being catered to, certainly by the right, that is um, dangerous. And, you know, you have kooks like the, the QAnon Queen of Canada um, who you can kind of laugh off. But she has a lot of influence over a lot of people who maybe will, you know, take the next step and do something crazy. And um, so it's it's scary right now. I, I do think that things are as bad as they seem. I wish I could say that I didn't. But, um, yeah, it's a scary time to be alive. Right. I mean, I I think I think a majority of everybody felt the reverberations of Roe versus Wade being overturned and all that that entailed, especially with the majority opinion that was put out and them very openly stating that they're going to go after, you know, a lot of the other related cases, the related precedents, uh, interracial marriage, you know, segregation, LGBT, like gay marriage, uh, you know, I'm in a queer relationship. So it's very much similar in that suddenly, well, not suddenly, the past, you know, six years or seven years is it's very loudly people at, upset and having a microphone and screaming that they're upset that people like myself and my partner or like you and your wife being together that that's even a thing it's amazing i mean i will say that as a counterpoint i think it's important to remember that we are in even with the craziness that's going on we are still in the most enlightened period of human history i mean this is a time when it's very i i think the the far right is really overplaying their hand right now and i think we're seeing what happened with with roe versus wade um, you know, the Dobbs decision, I think, is going to have a huge effect on turnout in the midterms. I think it's going to have a huge, huge effect going forward because right. people, you know, that is a, that is a step too far for most people. And, you know, even Republicans now on the whole on well, on the vast majority of Republicans support gay marriage, actually. I mean, and that is not something that was true when I was younger. You know, and when right. I was younger, I, I could there was a time when I couldn't imagine having a black president. And so we have seen things change as much as there is reason to be alarmed, we still live in a time where I would say the average Republican, the average even far right person, you know, I could introduce them to my wife and they wouldn't bat an eye. There's very few people who actually believe that black people and white people should not be able to be married. Like that right. is, that's a pretty extreme notion now. And so I don't think that not only am I not really worried about that in the as far as the the Supreme Court, I mean, you look at Justice Thomas, who's the most crazy far right of the Supreme Court is in an interracial marriage. Right. Um, you know, I just but certainly I think if they did something crazy, like like allowed states, they wouldn't outlaw gay marriage, but allowing states to outlaw gay marriage, that would be such an extreme position that I think there would be a huge backlash to that, that would in fact push civil rights for everyone, even even further forward. And we've seen that in history, you know, that you can you can kill Martin Luther King. That's only going to, you know, energize the the base and and yeah. people to, be, to to really awaken them and activate them. And so I do feel like we as much as I do feel like things right now are scary and we're right to be alarmed. I think that this is a not as bad of a position as we sometimes think it is. I think that most people would, for instance, support your right to marry your partner, even if they're on the right. Um, right. 
But I also think that this is an opportunity. This is a time where we can all kind of wake up to the fact during the Obama years, in some ways, we all felt like, oh, we have a black president. Racism is taken care of. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. And now we're getting to see like, oh, wait a minute, we have work to do here. And so I think this is an opportunity. I think that a lot of people are being sort of awakened. And unfortunately, we live in a country where even though the vast majority of people don't support someone like Donald Trump, uh, you know, with with the Electoral College, it is something where we worry about minority rule. It's just something we have to deal with. But it is comforting. It is comforting to me to know that the majority is not crazy and QAnon. You know, we right. live in a country that is majority pretty reasonable as humans compared to how they've ever been in history. I think uh, it can almost be looked at at the mindset of like two steps forward, one step back. You're yes. still making two steps forward. Exactly. Every every single time you're still t making two steps forward and the one step back, that gives you an opportunity to make sure you're going in the right direction. And it's uncomfortable to live during the one step back time, which, right. is, which is where we are now, you know, and but if we hold out, I think we're going to get to the two steps forward pretty soon. Right. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to talk about um, it was I literally was just thinking about it and I feel like I've always had a problem with this movie. Sorry, M. Night Shyamalan, but the happening. Did is you watch the, the happening the tree, when when the trees attack? Is that, yeah, is that yeah. What that is? I've you know I've never even seen it. I know I know the story though. I know that like nature's mad at us and <laughs> it fights back. I mean, and here the here's the thing. I get it. I get nature being mad at us. Yeah, I, I one hundred percent get it. <laughs> if if y'all want to do that, do that. But I think for me, the concept of this because. The idea is that they're releasing some sort of toxin that mm. that inhibits self-preservation. Right. Like the trees let go of some like gas that makes you suicidal or something. Yeah. The idea for me that I think bothered me about that is the fact that I guess all of humanity is inherently suicidal and the only thing keeping us alive is self-preservation is yeah. like is the fear of death is pretty cynical so so <laughs> twisted to me yeah. and so like not correct to me that i'm just like mm, i feel like if i feel like if my self-preservation was like inhibited i may go skydiving <laughs> i'm still gonna wear a parachute so i can maybe do it again <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't think we're all on the verge of suicide and the only thing holding us back is, you know, instinctual fear of death or something. I I think there are there are people actually enjoying their lives who probably even if they weren't afraid of dying would still avoid it just so they could continue enjoying the things that they're enjoying. Right. Um although I do think he's put out interesting movies that sort of play with the idea of fear. I know um Oh, now I'm missing the name of it right now. It was Oh, The Village. Yeah, yeah. The, the village, village um, where for those of you who have not watched The Village and, you know, sorry about the spoilers. Spoiler alert. Um, the fact that this community of, of people who in like the 70s had gone through so much trauma and dealt with so much crime and loss that they sequestered themselves to a nature reserve and built a whole new community just because of the fear of of that trauma and loss for their children 
but also using that same fear to keep, you know, everybody at bay. I think well, that's it's a good just analogy. An I think for like yeah, for like gated communities. I mean, we still do that, right? Like if you oh, are. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who are afraid of the world and everything that might happen to them. And so they sequester themselves off behind big gates and in mansions. And, you know, they they really think that if they walked downtown in San Francisco or something that, you know, some junkie would run up and inject them with heroin. And they, you know, it's just we still, I think, use fear in a lot of ways to control the populace. I mean, that is something that is is I think has been used by every uh, ruling class from whether it was kings and queens to government officials, uh, we we are subject to our fear. We are definitely, as as I think we've talked about a lot in this episode, we are motivated by fear in a lot of ways, whether we know it or not. And that can be used to make us safer or it can be used against us. And, uh, you know, to sort of come full circle, I think that's why I like the Sandman and the function of dreams and nightmares is to allow us to overcome our fears and i think the sort of parallel to that in reality is just talking and and you know having these conversations and addressing fears whether that means actually doing the things that you're afraid of or interacting with those things for instance spiders or i know i I ride roller coasters with loops now, even though I'm terrified <laughs> nice. of being upside down at great heights. Um, but the idea that fear, while it is a powerful thing and at sometimes a tool used by people, is not something so powerful that it can't be overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great that, I mean, that sounds like a small thing, but like, when you have a fear being able to, you know, the fact that I still go down water slides, like knowing that your fear is not rational and being able to confront it and overcome it is a really liberating experience. I mean, I think it, it is empowering in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, there are certainly fears that there's no reason to overcome them if you, if you don't need to. And maybe they're just <laughs> things you don't want to deal with and they're never going to happen anyway. But uh, I think it's always good to just sort of check yourself and say like okay these these fears that i have are they limiting me in any way and is is it worth it to me to maybe start facing them a little bit and i encourage anyone to do that in a safe and non-triggering environment very true well said um thank you for joining me Absolutely. thank you for so much for uh being on i'm sure i'm sure the listeners will enjoy it as well um do you have a social media to plug? So, yeah, I have. Well, if I when I have shows coming up, I've actually started getting back into performing. Right now, I'm just doing a lot of writing and performing at smaller shows. But as I start going back into the bigger venues, uh, that will be at shanerogers.net, where I always post my shows, or I did pre-COVID. Um, it's looking sad now. It used to be pages worth of shows, and now there's nothing on there. But uh, there will be soon. And that's at shanerogers.net. But mostly uh, check out Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, and you can get that anywhere uh, podcasts, your fine podcasts are sold, as my co-host likes to say. Um, and I think it's, like I said, there's a little something for everyone. You can also check us out on Instagram at Instagram slash Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. It is very enjoyable. Please listen to it. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there you can find a topic that suits your fancy very easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And thanks for having me again. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, as always, if you want to find us on Instagram, you can find us at BL underscore unsaid, Twitter, uh, BL unsaid podcast. If you want to uh, leave reviews, leave stars, do that on Apple podcast or Spotify or Podbean or, you know, wherever you want. Uh, as long as it is four or five stars, if you do want to send a one star review, please send it directly to blunsaid.podcast at gmail.com. Um, send your one-star reviews there uh, just because that's the only way I'll see them. Otherwise, it will have zero effect on me. Um, you can also send your uh, any topics that you want to do or if you have an embarrassing story you want to share. And we have a Patreon. So if you want to subscribe to our Patreon and join our exclusive uh, Discord, you can. But yeah, thank you all for joining us. Bye.